Chapter 27 of Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands by James T. Nichols. Chapter 27 The Seven Wonders of the World. A few years ago the editor of one of the great magazines of America sent out a thousand letters to as many scientists and great men scattered among all civilized nations in an effort to get the consensus of opinion as to what might be called the seven wonders of the modern world. A ballot was prepared containing fifty-six subjects of scientific and mechanical achievement and blank spaces in which other subjects might be written. Each man was asked to designate the seven he felt were entitled to a place on the list. He, of course, was not confined to the printed list and could write in others that were better entitled to a place than those on the printed list. About 70% of these ballots were returned properly marked, and the result was most interesting indeed. At once it was discovered that a complete change in human intelligence or judgment has taken place since the ancient Greeks made their list of the seven wonders of the world. Today the standard measurement as to what should be classed in such a list is service to humanity, while in the old days the standard of measurement was, or at least had largely to do with brute force. It is not surprising, therefore, that wireless telegraphy should have the highest place on the list. Guillermo Marconi is far more worthy to be remembered than the king who built the Great Pyramid in Egypt. This brilliant Italian, when but fifteen years of age, was reveling in the dreamland wonders of electricity, and when but twenty had the theory practically worked out and his patience and enthusiasm were simply amazing. He actually tried more than 2,000 experiments along a single line before he was able to demonstrate the truth of one of his own theories. No one crosses the Atlantic Ocean these days who is not impressed with the marvels of this wonderful discovery. Through it the seven seas have become great whispering galleries. One of the greatest races the writer ever saw he did not see at all. For three days and nights two great ocean liners raced across the deep and never came in sight of each other at all. Yet every few hours we all knew just which ship was gaining, and it was really a most exciting race. A few hours after Roosevelt was shot in Milwaukee, I heard the news by wireless, although I was on board a ship in the China Sea on the other side of the world. The telephone was given second place in the list of modern wonders. It is hard to realize that the telephone only dates back to 1875. It was during that year that Alexander Graham Bell and his assistant, Thomas A. Watson, were making experiments in a building in Boston. Mr. Watson was in the basement with an instrument trying without success to talk with Mr. Bell in the room above. Finally, the latter made a little change in the instrument and spoke, and Mr. Watson came rushing upstairs, greatly excited, saying, Why, Mr. Bell, I heard your voice distinctly, and could almost understand what you were saying. The next year the imperfect telephone was exhibited at the Centennial in Philadelphia, but for a time it was the laughing stock of most people, and hardly anyone ever dreamed that it would ever be more than a mere plaything. One day Dom Pedro, the Emperor of Brazil, 
who knew Mr. Bell personally, came in. With him was Sir William Thompson, the great English scientist. The emperor was given the receiver and placed it to his ear and was suddenly startled, saying, My God, it speaks. This amused all, but greatly interested the man of science, and thus the telephone was brought into prominence. While at the World's Fair in San Francisco, I sat with the receiver and heard a man speaking in New York as plainly as though he were in the next room. Sitting within the sounds of the waves of the Pacific, I was connected up with Atlantic City and heard the waves of the Atlantic. The third largest number of votes were given to the aeroplane, and since the birdmen played such a part in the World War, these scientists were correct in giving the flying machine a place among the wonders of the modern world. The fourth place was given to radium, the fifth to antiseptics and antitoxins, the sixth to spectrum analysis, and the seventh to the marvelous X-ray. Had eight subjects been called for, the Panama Canal would have had a place, for it lacked but eleven votes of tie for seventh place. It can, therefore, be called the eighth wonder of the modern world. How different were the ideas of men during the days of ancient Greece? It is a remarkable fact that among the seven wonders of the ancient world, only one of them was of any real service to humanity. True, one or two of them served as tombs for the dead, and one of them was a sort of pleasure resort, but it proved a curse rather than a blessing. The one of real service was the pharaohs, or lighthouse, at Alexandria, Egypt. This was a gigantic structure more than 400 feet high, on the top of which a great fire was kept burning at night, thus serving as a lighthouse. The structure was so large at the base and the winding roadway so spacious that it said a team of horses could be driven to the summit. The entire building has long since disappeared, but while in Alexandria its location was pointed out to me. In the list of ancient wonders, however, the pyramids of Egypt were given first place. There are seventy-seven of these pyramids altogether. Three of them are located less than a dozen miles from Cairo, the others being up the River Nile, a half-day's journey. The largest is known as the Pyramid of Cheops, and is nearest Cairo. It covers thirteen acres of ground and is four hundred and fifty feet high. My first sight of it was a disappointment, for after all it is nothing but a pile of stone, and seems smaller to the eye than it really is. When one walks along by its side, and begins to ascend to the top, however, its immensity begins to grow and impress the mind. Herodotus, the father of history, says a hundred thousand men worked on this pyramid at one time, and that it took twenty years to build it. It was scientifically and mathematically constructed ages before modern science or mathematics were born. The one who planned it knew that the earth is a sphere, and that its motion is rotary. It is said that in all the thousands of years since it was built, not a single fact in astronomy or mathematics has been discovered to contradict the wisdom of those who constructed it. On the north side of the pyramid, about fifty feet up, there is a narrow tunnel that runs down at an angle of twenty-six degrees to the center of the field that forms its base. 
The tunnel is so true that from the bottom one can see the star that is near the North Star, which is supposed to have been directly in the north when the structure was built. After you have descended 85 feet in this tunnel, there is another tunnel that runs up to the center of the structure, where there are some large rooms or chambers. The pyramid was supposed to have been built for a tomb, and these rooms are called the king's chambers, the queen's chambers, etc. In these rooms there are large mummy cases, but they are empty at the present time. One great satisfaction for me in visiting the pyramids was the fulfilling of a lifelong desire to see all that is left of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The third ancient wonder was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. These gardens were in reality a great artificial mountain built upon massive arches. It was 400 feet high and terraced on all sides and according to historians beautiful beyond description. Not only were beautiful flowers and shrubbery kept growing, but large forest trees as well. On approaching it, this great mountain seemed to be suspended or hanging in the air, hence the name. Water was brought in from the river, and the ruins of these vast waterworks are said to be the marvel of civil engineers even to this day. It seems that these hanging gardens were built to please the wife of one of the most powerful monarchs of the old days. This queen had been brought up among the hills, and as Babylon was located on the great level plain, she was dissatisfied and pined away for the hills and forests of her homeland. To please her, the king accomplished this mighty work. Today, the whole thing, in fact, the entire city of Babylon, is nothing but a pile of ruins. Portions of the city have been excavated, however, and old records have been found in the ruins that throw light on many customs and phases of life in those days. Even the paving bricks were stamped with the name of the kings, and anyone who visits the British Museum in London can see samples of them today. The next in this list of ancient wonders was the Temple of Diana at Ephesus. It is said that this temple was two hundred years in building. It was more than four hundred feet long and half as wide. The foundation was made earthquake-proof. The temple proper was supported by 127 columns, which were 60 feet high. Each of these columns was a gift from a king. They tell us that the great stairway was carved from a single grapevine, and that the cypress wood doors were kept in glue a lifetime before they were hung on their hinges. The image on top of this temple was said to have fallen from heaven, but in reality it was carved from ebony, and the men who did the work were put to death so they could not deny its celestial origin. It is said that around this image stood statues which by an ingenious invention could be made to shed tears. Another invention moistened the air in the temple with sweet perfume. The treasures of nations and the spoil of kingdoms were brought here for safekeeping and criminals from all nations fled to this temple, for when they reached it no law could touch them. No wonder that when the preaching of the Apostle Paul interfered with the business of the tradesmen who sold souvenirs of the image that they gathered up a mob and cried out for the space of two hours, Great is Diana of Ephesians, and ran the Apostle from the city. Today this temple with the city itself is nothing but ruins. Passing not far from the island of Rhodes some years ago, 
I tried to at least imagine that I could see the great statue called the Colossus of Rhodes, which was given a place among these seven ancient wonders, but as not a vestige of it remains on the island, it required a great stretch of the imagination to behold it. But although given this prominence, it was not as large or as beautiful as the Statue of Liberty that graces New York Harbor. It only took twelve years to build it, and after standing fifty-six years it was overthrown by an earthquake, and after nearly a thousand years the metal was used for other purposes. The other ancient wonders were the Statue of Jupiter, that was made of ivory and gold by Phidias, and the Mausoleum of Artemisia. Both of these have long since passed out of existence. Brute force is no longer the measure of power or influence. Neither are towering structures or mighty tombs. The standard of measurement these days is the ability to serve. We are learning that the Galilean carpenter told the truth when he said, He who would be great among you, let him be servant of all. Service is one of the greatest words in human language. The man, or the institution, or the magazine that can render the greatest measure of service to the largest number of people is more powerful and influential than all the seven wonders of the ancient world put together. End of chapter 27 An End of Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands by James T. Nichols